Hi, everybody. Charles from GMAT Club and GMAT Ninja here. I'm here to do one of my, my one of the, the debriefs I've been most excited about out of all the debriefs I've gotten to do with uh, successful MBA applicants, successful GMAT test takers. I want to introduce you all to John Kreider. He grew up in a trailer in the backwoods of Alaska. We'll talk about Alaska a little bit for any of you who don't have any context for what Alaska looks like. This is about as remote as it gets in North America. Grew up in the backwoods, below the poverty line, first in his family to go to college. And uh, guess what? He just got into Stanford, Wharton, Booth, Kellogg, uh, got some scholarship money for some of those schools. Absolutely killed it in the admissions process, but had a very, very unusual, interesting journey to get there. John, thank you so much for doing this with us. Charles, appreciate you having me. Awesome. If you have questions, uh, feel free to fire away. Where I want to start, John, just because you have such an unusual um, kind of early childhood background. We don't meet a lot of people from the backwoods of Alaska who end up at the most elite business schools on earth. Um, for anybody watching who doesn't know what Alaska is like, can you paint a picture of where exactly you grew up and, and what it was like? What was that upbringing like? And give us a sense of what it felt like to spend a, a winter in a trailer in Alaska as a kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like, like you said, grew up in Alaska, which is northernmost state that you have in the United States. And that goes, you know, it brings along all the things you'd imagine it would be, you know, very beautiful in the summer, but very, very cold. You could have in the winter. I mean, I think when I, I was I was a, I was an Eagle Scout and the coldest we ever went camping at was 40 degrees below Celsius. Um, and that's not with windshield factor and that, you know, in a little snow hut with uh, one of you know, the best people I know, Doc Anderson, my Scoutmaster. So, you know, it's just a, a, a very different kind of place. And. Um, you know, my I, I have to give homage to my, you know, my parents who did all that they could to provide for us and the kids and um, to do that. But but grew up, you know, with, with with not a lot, you know, comparatively to to what, you know, I've ended up, especially seeing my professional career, both in management consulting as well as in private equity. It was a little bit different. Um, so grew up below the the poverty line and all the things that go along with that, you know, I had free and reduced school lunch and, you know, questions about how long I can make a shirt last, um, et cetera. Never really believed, you know, coming from a remote place like that, that I was going to end up at a business school. I didn't really know what a business school was. And hell, I wasn't even necessarily planning on going to an undergrad school. I figured I'd go work in the oil fields, you know, be a, you know, a welder or something like that. Um, and, and, you know, life took me a little bit different direction. Obviously it was, but that was kind of the idea growing up, right? My, my father's a disabled veteran and he kind of pushed him, you know, to, to go towards trades and stuff. He's a very, very handy um, man, you know worked on a lot of engines and stuff growing up. So, you know, quite a bit atypical, rougher hands, I think that you'd, you'd see at most MBA programs. I love it. So at, at what point, so nobody else in your family went to college. That's um, Dad's a disabled veteran, you know, you're living in, you know, kind of outside a really, really small town in this, in yes. this frozen place. The expectation is you go into some sort of trade, work in the oil fields, become a mechanic, mm -hmm. some, something like that. Yeah, what, yeah. What when did that change for you? So at some point, you, you ended up doing undergrad eventually. So how, yeah. how, did, how did you get there? See, it's a good question. So I, I, I was lucky enough to, you know, be a smart kid, right? I picked up on reading and stuff like that pretty quick. I think through no fault of, you know, of my own, just sometimes, you know, you, you get blessed to have a mind that works. And, you know, and so doing took a lot of like, you know, the classes, like, you know, the biology ones that would be advanced and, and stuff. Um, and, and growing up, you know, without a lot of, of, of you know, access, you, if you, if you want to be successful, right, you should be like a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. And that required going to college, right? So that, that was kind of the, the thought where it's like, okay, if I'm, I, I know that I can because all of my peers around me say that I can. And then I alluded to him, but my, my scoutmaster, Dr. Anderson, was a very big influence in my life. He was a doctor. He was also the local town OBGYN and mayor and Iditarod sled leader and like bishop. And like, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of towns, right? He was the, you know, the, the 
guy who makes flowers and stuff like just so so kind of took inspiration there and from my family to say like you know you've you you you, you know you you you've you've uh you've got pocket aces you might as well use it and so i figured yeah like i'm gonna go i'll go to college like that's what smart successful people do and, and figured i was i was gonna go be a doctor right that was kind of the idea Awesome. Okay, so that seed was planted fairly young. Your parents were really supportive yeah, of education. Very much. You, you had sort of the guy in your small town who was doctor, scout leader, florist. Uh, for those yeah, who don't know, OBGYN. Uh, OBGYN. John mentioned the Iditarod, which uh, you can Google that. It is a infamous, famous, uh, whichever term you want to use, um, multi-day dog sled race across Alaska. Absolutely epic piece of Alaskan culture. Please look that up. So your local Iditarod sled leader. Uh, slash yeah. Scoutmaster slash OBGYN slash slash, slash yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. What a great image. Okay, so tell us about sort of you know where you went to undergrad, how you got there. Um, mm -hmm. You went straight to undergrad after high school, or was there something else there for you? No. So I, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints, or at least I, I got active in it. Missionaries that so work with awesome. people with black tags that come talk to you. That's the one I'm a part of. Um, and they, they, they got the hooks in me. For those who don't know, known as the Mormon Church to most people, yeah. or LDS yeah. Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yep, that's multiple, that, yeah. Multiple names. names. Yeah, and so got into that, and I was I was a missionary in Colorado for two years, um, mm -hmm. and which was a, a beautiful place. I love Colorado. loved serving the people. It was fantastic. And then was was lucky enough to be able to get into Brigham Young University, which is a college that is, that is most known for, for having a very high LDS population. Um, seemed like a very, you know, normal way to do, you know, a lot of my peers and stuff had gone there as well or had, you know, encouraged it. And I, I didn't know much about what schools were out there. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to live under a rock if you don't know about like Harvard, but, but also growing up poor, what, what you hear is there's Harvard or there's, you know, UPenn or something. And these are these elite schools, but they're going to cost you a million dollars. So you can't go there. And so it didn't even attempt, right? I applied to BYU. My cousin went to Utah State, so I applied there. And I think I applied to local community college as well. Okay, awesome. What did, what did you study at Brigham Young? Genetics and biotechnology, which has uh, nothing to do with what I do now. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> okay, so then after undergrad, to, to walk us through your career progression, what did you do after undergrad and, and yep. what got you into it? Yeah, so when I was an undergrad, I wanted to be a doctor, right? So genetics and biotech, you know, worked out um, to to do that. But I was halfway through, you know, doing cancer research and stuff, and I just kind of had that moment of like, I can't be a like, I can't be a scientist. I, you know, I'm too distracted. I can't move chemicals from one place to the other for three hours a day. And so, like in I don't desperation, I went to the career counselor, you know, um, and and I, I said like, you know, what what can I do? Can't be a scientist, right? What do I do? Um, and luckily, you know, they, they were a good career counselor and they asked more and I wanted to solve big, fat, hairy, juicy problems. I, you know, did genetics and biotech either be a doctor or like plant science because my grandfather's an Idaho farmer, right? Something, you know, kind of, you know, makes sense. And, and she said, well, if you like to solve big, fat, hairy, juicy problems, you should look into management consulting. And I was like, what on earth is that? I never, never once heard of like, you know, Bain, McKinsey, like BCG, anything Wall Street was like the bad guys, right? That are trying to, you know, to, to put the, the thumb on the small man. So I'd never heard of it, but she said, yeah, you can go solve these problems. And I was like, that sounds perfect. How do I get in? And <laughs> that started the two year journey down the path. Um, that was a lot of case interviews and a lot of figuring out, but was very, very 
fortunate, lucky, and blessed to, to end up at Bain & Company and in the Dallas, Texas office after a couple of years of recruiting and resume polishing and a hundred different, you know, case interviews and such. Brilliant. And and I know that most people watching this are probably in the middle of their MBA journey and are well past sort of that stage of undergrad where they're trying to figure it out. But honestly, man, good on you for kind of figuring out as early as you did in your undergrad. It sounds like kind of by your junior year, you were going, oh, wait a minute, I'm in a major that doesn't lead to a career that makes sense for me. Let me go talk to right. people, get some advice, figure it out. It sounds like you're really smart about putting in the work. Um, probably also helps you out a couple of years of, of the missionary work ahead of time. You probably understand It's very nice life. to know how to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot better than let's say I did when I was a junior in college. <laughs> um, okay. So how long were you at Bain? I was at Bain for, for two years. So started August of 2019. Um, loved it, enjoyed my time. And, um, you know, along the way, I actually, you know, when I was at Bain thought it'd be the only job I ever had. Like I was really sold on it and, and awesome. really enjoyed it. Um, but, but along the way I had, I did have some, some health concerns and problems and, you know, with with uh, with the pandemic, a lot of the the work life balance got a little bit crazy, and I you know I had a wife and two kids at the time. So you know, in order to preserve my my health, sanity, and you know marriage, I figured it makes sense to look for another you know another another job at some point, and ended up going to um um into investing, which oftentimes does not have better work life balance. But um you know again, so, sometimes you get pocket aces, and I got that my with the fund that I'm at now, KSP Global, that is. A phenomenal fund with incredible people that are um, very um, they work on the right things, right, and and don't don't require the things they don't need to. And I've I've learned a ton, and very very lucky to be here. Awesome. And how long have you been there? It's been about two years. A little over two years. So yeah, it was awesome. uh, October early October uh, um, 2021, where I, when I left Bain and started the next day at, at KSP Global, and I work remote for them. Um, awesome. And so I've been there. Yes, yeah, a little over two years now. Brilliant. Love it. Um, and just a reminder, anybody watching this live, feel free to punch some some any questions you have for John. Um, feel free to fire away in the comments and I'll do my best to answer anything you've got, especially now that we're getting to the MBA part of the journey. Yeah. Um, and just one more bit of context before we kind of get into the the meat of sort of what made you choose to do an MBA and what did you do along the way to, to get the admins that you've gotten so far. Tell us yep. a little bit more about your family life. So you mentioned having kids. How, how old yes. are your kids and, and how's that been sort of balancing sort of this stage of your career with with the family i mean balance balance is, is a hell of a word i, I i'd say it's <laughs> more like juggling um there, there's, there's no there's no static right with this so i have you know a five you know five-year-old three-year-old and and a one and a half month old so just had our, our first daughter you know a little bit ago um and my my wife madison we've been married now for gosh six or seven years she's the most wonderful woman on earth um balancing it obviously with careers you know it, it's it's I mean, the 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 advice that I got, you know, earlier on, especially from a lot of the people at Bain that um, were in similar situations to me, was that you know, if if you front load your career, then you don't have to front load, you know, you don't have to load up the back of your career, right? So a lot of a lot of time and effort put in the beginning pays dividends, and I've certainly seen that um, in the places that I've been able to to go and work. So I mean, it's it, it's it, it's a juggle, but it's it's a good juggle. It's the best best juggle you could have, right? And and it. I, I'm right there with you. And um, for what it's worth, my kids are, my, my, my two kids are about the same age as your two oldest, six and three. Beautiful. So right there with you with the juggling act and um, Madison props to you because it sounds like if uh, you're, you're putting up with this guy and, and all the demands of, of Bain and career in, in finance, uh, you're, you're holding up half the sky. So Madison, you're clearly amazing. Um, and now MBA time. So yep. at what point did you start thinking about it and why? Because it sounds like you landed at a wonderful company, it sounds like post-Bain. Yeah. 
Um, so what, what is driving you to do the MBA? What inspired that? Yeah. So, I mean, I first learned uh, again about MBA programs when I was like recruiting for Bain, this whole world is very new. And, and so it, it had always been in the back of, you know, my mind, because it was one of those things that was kind of a foregone conclusion, like, right, you go to consulting, it then sets you up for a, a top MBA program, um, whatever that might be. And so it always been back in my mind the, the timing was always the, always the question that we had there. And, you know, some of the rationale, right, for it was, you know, on the first hand, like I said, genetics and biotechnology. And though I loved it, there wasn't like this foundational, fundamental business, like education, right, which I which, you know, you kind of pick up along the way. But the majority of my time at, at Bain and all of my time at KSV has been has been remote. So the majority of what I've learned has been, you know, watching over the shoulder, Googling and asking this and never in like a structured way like i've never taken a macroeconomics course i don't know what that is right so i think you know th th something like that would be really good to like learn so that's bit of the inspiration there number one um number two there there obviously is a calculation to uh to be you know done that have that, that comes with um you know lost you know income and such like that especially with the family um but one of my good friends ben johnson is out warden we had this conversation earlier on and he said look like if you look back in 20 years you're probably not going to regret, right? Going to a, a program, regardless of like you know, the financial impact. If you don't go, you'll always have that tinge of regret. You might as well keep the options open. So there, there's kind of a bit of that, right? And and the third thing is, you know, there there's a whole world out there that I just don't know and understand yet. And I I, I know I've got blind spots and weaknesses. I didn't I wasn't you know raised to know what's out there. And I know that the MBA is, is a time to understand if, you know, if I want to do a future career and change and pivot to, you know, to have that, that flexibility to do such things. And I, you know, I think that that's, that's very valuable to have. Add, add the network, of course, on top of that, a network that you just, you can't really get coming from the trailer in Alaska. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it kind of, it's this, I don't know, the golden chalice that like has all of the stuff you could drink and have your dreams fulfilled, right? Or at least so I assume. Um, so one of the things you just said, John, that I, I really love for anybody in the application journey right now, it's really fascinating to me that the first thing you said is is sort of the the passion for learning more, yeah, um, and kind of being immersed in in you didn't say quite these words, but kind of immersed in an environment and a culture where you're around other people who are business minded from different backgrounds, and being there in person with people after you know basically you know four plus years of mostly being remote for most of this time, yeah. Um, that what, what I find fascinating about that, it seems like a really obvious thing. And I'm sure there are people sitting here going, well, of course, that's where, why you go to business school. Um, but asking that question of, you know, our students and, and, you know, people doing admissions consulting or tutoring with us over the years, I'd say about a quarter of people maybe even mention that in their top three reasons. Usually it's about really? network. Yeah. Usually I, I hear some combination of reasons, a career change, and all of these are, are totally valid. I am not knocking on any of these at all. But it's a career change. It's well, I've kind of hit the ceiling at my current job. I don't like my current job anymore. I want out. Um, oh, I think it'd be fun to be in grad school, which is also totally fair and a really good reason. Um, it might be just about resume building primarily and less about sort of the process of learning and, and being surrounded by a certain bunch of people. And I, I can go on. Yeah. Usually the learning isn't a top three reason for most people we run across. It's in there somewhere. Um, but I think it's fascinating that you bring that up right away. And, and my wager is that showed up in your applications. Um, speaking of which, 
yeah. say more about kind of how all that unfolded for you. When did you start applying? When did you start working on the GMAT? Mm -hmm. How did all that go for you? What, what round did you do? Walk us through all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So in terms of the GMAT preparation, luckily when, when you sign on with Bain & Companies in undergrad, they have a, a reimbursement amount where you can go study the GMAT. So I, I took it, you kind of cold, you know, I studied for two weeks, probably could have done better, um, and yeah. got a 690 after studying for two weeks. Wow. And I was like, okay, well, well yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, again, very, very lucky to, to be blessed with some natural inclinations towards test taking. Um, so did that. And then when you're at Bain, they also give you some reimbursement for it. So, you know, I, I, I applied to some deferred programs because that's what you're told you're supposed to do. Didn't even get the time of day from anyone. And looking back, there's good reasons why. I just, you know, made one version of my essay and fired it off and said, well, if they want me, they'll take me. They didn't want me. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you're saying... Sorry to interrupt, John. Yeah. Uh, you're saying you applied to de the deferred admissions programs like your your senior year at at BYU. Yes, I, okay. Yes, that, that's correct. And didn't get in anywhere. Didn't get a didn't get a even a look anywhere. Um, and so figured, what's the next thing to do is probably work on the GMAT. So in the summer before, um, you know, starting at Bain, I actually tried the GRE for a bit. Couldn't hack the uh, the vocabulary because you know didn't I didn't know big words such as you know meticulous or fastidious. And then. Uh, you know, uh, took it again um, in, in end of 2019 when there was kind of a winter break between cases, got a 7.30. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done. There we go. Um, and that, that ended up not being the case um, later on. So, you know, I was, I was at Bain and did that and, and didn't, didn't necessarily think, you know, that going from Bain to the MBA program was, was going to be the thing that I necessarily wanted to do, just because from what I'd heard from a lot of the people at, at Bain, they're very open about this. You know, there, there's other career things to, to look at and explore, and it's a very good launching pad. Bill Wade, one of my mentors there, he's a partner in Dallas. He, he, he said that quite frequently. This is a very good launching pad. You, use it as such. If you want to launch up in Bain, continue. If you want to launch other places, by all means, right? And, and so that, that was very helpful and inspiring to, to learn and do. So, you know, it's kind of on the back burner. But when I, when I joined, you know, up at KSB Global was when things became a little bit more, more real. And it wasn't necessarily a requirement to go get an MBA. But there, there was, you know, a few holes I started to see, right? Like, again, my, my, um, my supervisor, Andrew uh, Booth alum, uh, top three people on earth, the best supervisor I've ever worked for. And, and, and just the way that he understood, you know, not only quantitative finance, but also organizational, you know, psychology, like there, there was something there. And I, I wanted that thing, right? I wanted to be, you know, like Andrew, my, you know, the partners that I had you know, Dan, John, Spencer, like they, they, they just, they had something and they'd gotten their MBAs. And I figured, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm going to run with this crowd, right. If I'm going to change, you know, from being, you know, the, the person that I was growing up to being a, you know, full-fledged professional, especially best professional, this, this mark is a very, you know, this MBA mark is a very, um, it's an easy option, right. To take and to learn these things, especially professionalism. I, for, to the day I die, my feedback, Every time for where I'm going to score low my jobs, it's like, John needs to be more professional. It's like, yeah, I know. Okay. Like, I get it. I'm a rough stone rolling. Wait, wait, um, what, what do you do? Say more. What does that mean? I have a feeling there's some funny stories about goofy <laughs> things you've done in the break room or um, wearing, <laughs> I mean, wearing so, your tennis shoes. To, I, I right. Know. So so actually, so, for, so when I when I first started at Banning Company, um, this is especially poignant because I came in and kind of expected everyone to be like the BYU recruiting team at Bain. And it just wasn't necessarily the case. They um, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, to no one, not, not, not in a negative way, but like a lot of wealth, right? And opulence that I just wasn't aware of. You know, we, we, we talk about, uh, you know, on, on your get to know you, where's the place you vacationed? 
Well, like I went down to my grandfather's farm to like help work the farm, right? Like that was our vacation to get to know the family. You know, somebody say like the Maldives. It's like, oh, I thought that was like a theme park in like Nebraska. I didn't know it was a country, right? I, I'm very, you know, not so. So th- there is this gap, right? And 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 you know, in speaking, you know, these people, especially at Bain, and not knowing how to do this, you know, it, it, there, there was there was a language I didn't know, and that they didn't know how to speak to me because we're in two different spots, and they're like, yeah, you can book the flight that's a hundred dollars more if it's a better timetable. I'm like, well, that seems dumb, a hundred dollars more. I mean, in, in my Kellogg essay, especially, I wrote about this. You know, my my first. Um, you know, my, my first sit down meal, like a fancy steak, house, right? Not, not like a place with peanuts on the floor, but like a really fancy one. You know, when I, when we sat down and I look at the menu and it's like, oh, like, you know, my, my, my drink, the appetizers and the steak inside I'm going to get is like as much as my family now spends on in a week for food. And that it's just weird cognitive distance. It's just hard to get around. And so so what I did at Bain, I mean, because I'm a bull in a china shop, is I started to cause problems, and I made an affinity group that was for people like me. We called it One Gen. I think it's now called First at Bain. It's had a different, few different names. But started out of the office to just get people like me to say, hey, is anyone else feeling this? Because I'm really uncomfortable right now, and I don't know what to do. And, and there, there was. It's a very silent you know, um, identity, I guess, is, is the, the most you know, common way to say it now. Silent identity to have that. And you know, building on that at Bain was, was, I think, one, a really good thing for me professionally, and two, you know, gave me a family, right, where we could go and have our Friday lunches and just talk about yeah. what's happened, you know, that week and how, and how we're, we're getting through it. Anything from how do I progress in my career to what brand of shirt can I get? Because these are $200 and like, holy cow, that's ridiculous, right? That's amazing. I love it. Um, okay, so... <laughs> so you started you had your eye on the MBA early yes. on as you're going okay there there is a there is a thing there's an expertise even cultural communication for that matter yeah that you're like hey to really thrive in this in this type of environment this type of workplace there's a whole lot of things i need to be immersed in become more comfortable with it was on your radar screen really early which is amazing yes. um without losing kind of that that part of your your own identity and history as somebody who, you know, first generation going to college, where you're kind of have your support group around that, which I think is amazing. And you're already kind of going, okay, how do we get to the MBA? 690 GMAT, senior year of college, 730, kind of halfway or partway into your first year at Bain. Yep. And then that wasn't the end of it because that was that was 2019. So what, what yep. happened from there? So yeah, so I, I was when I'd done at Bain as a KSV, I, um, you know, had, had done had done well and had some quick, you know, very good wins with some portfolio companies investments we made and was was feeling, you know, like it's about the time, right? I got I've got enough arrows in my cap or feathers in my cap, arrows, whatever the word is there. I have the accolades such that I could, could consider these programs and had gotten the advice, especially at, you know, a lot at Bain there. There is kind of this idea in culture that you should shoot for the stars first whatever those stars are, and then go somewhere else if, if the stars don't don't work out, which I, I do have a bit of a problem with now that I'm on the other side, but that's for another time. And so, you know, when I'm at KSB, I said, I'm going to apply to Harvard and Stanford and do that first. That's what everyone says they ought to do. And I, you know, with, with my 730 charged in and wrote, you know, um, the essays and stuff. And luckily, one of my other partners at my fund was very helpful in doing so and secured an interview at HBS. Awesome. And nothing at Stanford for this. This was this was not this year, but like last year's round one. Um, and got got rejected after after the interview from from Harvard Business School, uh, which was which was kind of a blow. It's like okay, well, that that sucks. I guess you know what what do you what do you do? And and had you know some some you know kind of you know 
imposter feeling there again where it's like okay they found out like i don't belong like it's clear i don't belong um it, it, but then you know went through a lot of you know some stoic philosophy of like well does the world actually matter what does their opinion do like you know who are you and and, and how does that actually work and you know, I, I decided I was going to try again and, and not necessarily apply for the other the other schools. Again, this was kind of, I think, along the, I think, incorrect ideology of like shoot for the stars only. And then also I got the news in like December. Round, round two is coming up in January. I didn't feel confident that I could like sprint and get, you know, an application that's worthy of putting in at, you know, something such as Kellogg or Warden. So, so John, so just to clarify, yeah. so this is, so your rejections from HBS and Stanford come yep. in December, 2022. That is correct. Yes. And then you have a matter of, of weeks or maybe even a few days before you could submit, you know, if you want to apply to Wharton, Booth, Kellogg, MIT, mm -hmm. Columbia, wherever else. You could, in theory, have done it after those rejections came in, but you only had a week or two, and it's mm -hmm. over the holidays, and you have little kids that get excited. And, and so, I, obviously, like a bit depressed, like, dang, I had a shot. I'm not good enough, right? Yeah. That 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 thought of like, you're not good enough to do this, like, stop trying. Very prevalent, right? And and worked on that, you know, for a while. I mean, I think that I, you know, I'm, I, I'll obviously, you know, like, I, I do believe I got good mental health, but like, it gnaws at you, right? Because like, I was sitting there. You know, I was, I was, I was in, I was at Harvard. I sat down, we had an interview. I thought it went well. We laughed, which is uncommon for Harvard. I was like, I got this. I cinched it. My friends are there. <laughs> As I walked out of the Spangler building, you know, Shaq gives me a hug. Like it, it's like, okay, it worked. Right. My buddy Shaq he, uh, Walker, he just graduated there. So, so like, I was like, okay, like nailed it. And no, didn't nail it. So, so kind of sad. But, although, but although, that, sorry to interrupt again, John. Counterpoint yeah, yeah, here: the fact that you came close, like, like if obviously this isn't the end of the story anyway. But the fact that you came that close, you got an interview at Harvard. The interview went well. I think everybody here is aware of how freaking unbelievably hard it is to get into HBS. The yeah. fact that you came close is so impressive. That I know that's not how you think in the moment. Rejections, rejection, right? Hard, and especially when you're coming from a place like Bain or or anywhere kind of an elite you know, finance consulting, you're surrounded by people who went to schools like that. It feels like a failure. And I don't want to minimize that feeling. Right. But, but I also anybody watching There's an upside. Yeah. is going to have these moments where it's like, Oh, I got interviewed and didn't get in. It happens to so many people. And it's like, dude, you came really close to getting into HBS. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So for, for what it's worth, um, right. that by itself is an achievement. And I realize there's more to come. Okay, so you decided screw around to this year in yep. 2022. I'm going to regroup, um, kind of think about, you know, learn from this experience, move on. Yep. So that brings us into the current cycle, 2023. You yep. start gearing up for round one. So, so talk to us. About yeah. And, and so kind of earlier that year, I said, okay, now, now I, I know I didn't get in Fair. Why is that? And tried to be very introspective, you know, went through essays, went through all, all the bits and pieces and came up with a few parts. Like, you know, number one, like easiest quantifiable GMAT. You know, if you look at Harvard's median, I think it's now 740 and GSPs at the time was a 740 at 730 and like not for nothing, but like straight white Christian conservative ex consulting private equity bro male like that. That's a talent pool that will typically score above median or so I've been told. I don't know for sure. So, you know, if, if you stack me against my peers, I'm not not top percentile. So, OK, it's something I could do there. Number one. Number two, I think recommenders. I mean, I worked for one of the most wonderful men on earth, Nathan Rogg at Bain and Company, um, and he wrote one of his recommendation. But I, 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 I wasn't like the top best guy at Bain. No, solid midline performer, right? So okay, like that's gonna be it's gonna be hard to write. Like you, like Nathan is not gonna lie. He's not gonna say John's the best AC I've ever seen. Like never. So okay, 
I have the chance now and my fun to be that guy. So let, let's 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 do better there, right? So it could get a better letter of recommendation. Um, essays as well, you know, could be more thoughtful and reflective. Now that I look back on my Stanford essay, it's like no wonder I didn't get interviewed. Like what a what a joke. Like uh, you know, I I wrote to what I thought the adcom wanted to hear instead of actually truly answering the prompt, right? Um, and and so you know, I made these decisions. I'm going to work on all of these things that that, that within my my you know my power. Um, and and do what it's going to take to like get all of the you know if, there, if there's a hole in my armor let's patch that sucker up right and figure that's going to be what I was going to go you know do so the GMAT journey was you know in the beginning of 2023 and I took it three times um, to to try and get hired so got us you know went through like the target test prep and then a bunch of your online verbal stuff anyone who's watching this guy's the goat like you need to look at the verbal stuff it got me a 48 and I. I over the moon, like incredible stuff. Um, Thank you, John. So, absolutely. And so started studying in earnest for that. Got a 740 um, and then another 740 just after that where my verbal and quant was like flipped. And <laughs> eventually it was like, okay, you know, yeah, just the worst feeling, right? And then I I, I took it then at an at-home test and got a 760. And I was <laughs> like, okay, we're done. We did it. Like never again will i have to understand if that is sufficient or not at least in, in the gmat right professionally perhaps but but not now so so got that one done the second thing is i i i tried to be very particular about kind of going a bottoms up strategy on like what my letter of recommendation wanted to be and i i was i was very blessed to have a portfolio company to work with and the ceo of that portfolio company his name's brett um brett is like the best guy on earth and we you know worked um worked together I was kind of his, his chief of staff at this company doing a lot of stuff to help it out. And so he wrote me a letter of recommendation as I, I was a dual like associate at KSV and at this company kind of working and doing a lot of like the, the, the stuff to help out with sales and marketing, especially. And so it was a bit of a wow. differentiated letter of recommendation, right? Cause he was like, I am the CEO of like a private equity backed company. This kid is worth a salt. Like you need to take him. Right. And that was very helpful to not just have your standard. I'm a partner at Bain. I'm a partner at KSV and I'm this or that to, to kind of, throw in a letter of recommendation. Wow, John, okay, so explain that a little bit more. So yeah. private equity company. So you still have your, your full-time role as, as an associate in the private equity company. That's correct, yeah. And then is is when you were kind of serving in this chief of staff role for the portfolio company, Yeah. Um, was that something you were doing essentially as a side hustle or was that considered part of your job in at the private Considered equity? part of the job, right? Awesome. So, so I, I work primarily in growth yeah. equity and, and the markets for 2023 are pretty down. Right. And so you've got a little bit of extra time, not a lot, but like enough to say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I, I was a consultant at Bain, well, an associate consultant at Bain. I, I, I don't know everything, but I know enough on how to make some dashboards. I know how to use to take our data and do something cool with it to get some more insights. Okay. You know, all of that stuff that could very much help a lower middle market Midwestern manufacturing company. Right. And so as you know, as part of it, you know, I'm not in the live diligence. Well, OK, I'm going to go help out, Brad. I'm going to go do something there and i'm going to try and, and grow this company because I, I want the fund to succeed right um a little bit of initiative on my end to go and do that not really an, it was it was sort of a sign but also you know i mean when, when you look at it, it's like there's so much there i bet i can go do something you know hey boss can i go try it out yeah sure all right here we go right so it, it was kind of that that sort of a story um when i when i went to go to help them out in this sort of chief of staff role Awesome. Okay. And the, and the one great question we've gotten from the audience from Cliff, were there any weaknesses in your application? How did you overcome them? He actually asked that question about 25 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, and, and I think he just nailed it. But I guess, are there any other weaknesses that you perceived um, 
either in the the latest round yeah. or or in that round that was unsuccessful for you in 2022 i mean they're, they're, you can always say i'd like a higher gmat or always say a higher gpa or whatever <clears throat> um but but yeah my weaknesses in the earlier one was certainly like letter of recommendation not being as thoughtful on the essays i think was an important thing i also think my weakness like frankly was not enough self-reflection i i mean now looking at it looking back now i visited the kellogg you know campus took a class there with my buddy west bosco amazing like i loved kellogg it was it was incredible i i would love to be there you know went with my buddy ben johnson over to warden toured it talked to people oh my gosh can you imagine going it's it's, it's incredible it's incredible it's an incredible school so i think i was i was i i was blinded by top-down thinking that i did not validate going bottoms up right i didn't say i didn't sit down and say what do i want to do and where do i want to end up and who's going to get me there if I had done that, I, I would have been incredibly happy to end up at you know at any any of the schools that I applied to. Very much so. So I think that was, that was a weakness that I had um, in the application. Um, I have to think deeper if, if there was more, but probably. And Don, I'd love to hear more. So I, I love what you're saying about the the introspection because again, like like what is this whole business of the essays and you know. The, yeah, the admissions people you go to the dog and pony shows, the info sessions, and they'll say, "Oh, we look at you the as a whole person." Yeah, and you kind of go, you know, it, it sounds. I, I think to most ears at first, it sounds it sounds political. It sounds a little bit hollow. Well, the GMAT's just part of your application, okay? You know, and, and all this stuff kind of, I don't know, it, it it doesn't sound very meaningful. I think the first few times you hear it, right? But where it's really true, and and one of the things that you know, that anyone who's been kicking around, you know, watching applicants do this, you know, year after year, you kind of go, yeah, the the ones who really have a really solid grounding in why they're doing this, what they want from it, understanding of what schools they're targeting, why they belong there, they outperform massively compared to let's say their their GPA, prestige, their employment. Oh, really? How do you know? That's cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it comes across, right? If if you have not done your homework, you don't really understand. You know, if you're applying to Wharton just because it's highly ranked, but you have no real reason why you think that's a fit for you or no particular mm. affinity for it, um, and not a lot of introspection about why this is the right thing for you right now, then it comes across in your application, comes across in your interviews if, if mm, you're just kind fair. of chasing a name. But when there's something really there and you go, oh, yeah, no, here's what I want to achieve in, in my life and my career. Here's how Wharton fits into it, specifically Wharton or, or name, insert school name here. Some of the best applications I've ever seen. Um, actually, I know a few people who went to Cornell years ago who just had this amazing depth of understanding of Ithaca, New York, and what happened on that Cornell campus. And I had somebody who was, um, you know, an Indian female applicant on the older side, she was in her early 30s. Um, her career was fine, but she was kind of a marketing person who'd done all right, not much of an undergrad background. Yep. 640 GMAT, which was incredibly low for that demographic. And she gets an interview at Cornell, which was an achievement. She wrote, she wrote great essays. I mean, because it was yeah. really this genuine, like, here's what I want to do in my career. And it was it was really personal in, in a yeah. real way. And she goes to her interview and and somebody asks, hey, um, you know, hey, how are you liking Ithaca since, you, since you're up here? It's like, oh, I've, I've visited here a few times now. And I always like, and I'm going to botch the details. So anybody who's who's attended Cornell can yell at me. But I I really, I always love the the chimes on the roof of the library. I, I like going for a walk there in the morning because I think the roof tiles are double as wind chimes. And, and again, I might be botching those details. Somebody from Ithaca can yell at me. Um, That's so specific. I love it. And the inter and, and totally genuine. I mean, th this this woman did not have an an ungenuine bone in her body. A lo lovely, lovely human, and. Really, that's what she did visiting Ithaca. Was she would go for a walk in the morning, and she she loved kind of sitting there and listening to the wind chimes. And the interviewer 
And I, and it was somebody on the ad comm who'd been at Cornell for years was like, the what? I didn't even know about that. And, you know, and that's like the first line. And it's just like, wow, this woman is going to love being at Cornell if we let her in. And of course, that's they let so her in. great. And she's done great. And she's killing it in her career. And, and so that sort of thing really matters. And so hearing you talk about that introspection and kind of going, yeah, I, I needed to really kind of dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, it matters. And, and it's not to say that people can't get in with something that's thinner or less personal, but you're going to punch above your weight if you really can make the case, hey, here's who I really am. You come up across a three-dimensional person and your essays, which I have a feeling you did, um, especially in this later round, that stuff really matters. So it, I, I think you have the right process and kind of thinking deeply about it. You mentioned the Stanford essays from the unsuccessful round back in 2022, yeah. no interview. You applied in 2023, round one, mm -hmm. got in. Tell us about the difference in those essays. How'd you approach them differently? Can, can you give us a little bit of a sense? Oh, to I mean, before? tell me about the difference between orange juice and toothpaste, right? So, I mean, it's a night and day, really. So so when, when I wrote it originally, um, I, I had written, let me take one step back. One piece of advice that I've heard oft repeated that I've, I've grown to disagree with is that the Harvard and Stanford essays are basically the same thing. I disagree with that. Reason because of that is because when I when I wrote my essays for you know last round, the round I didn't get in 2022, I, I just I tried to tried to repurpose my my HBS essay into my Stanford one and wrote it around like what's most important? It's like growth, right? And why Stanford? Oh, well, it's the best because it's got these classes and all of these things, right? And, and looking back, and I had some people, you know, talk to me about, you know, what what to do differently. You know, when I didn't get to Stanford, especially, I, I actually wasn't terribly keen on going to Stanford because I was, you know, arrogant and pissed off they didn't interview me. So this time around, I, I decided, like, you know, what I'm going to do. I'm going to be genuine. I'm just going to say what I actually think, not what somebody has told me, not what a friend has told me. I'm going to write down what I want to write down. So what matters most and why? I said, well, my family and being a good father. Why is that? Bit of a rough upbringing. And then, you know, figured that I wanted to provide for my, my family in a way that is not the same. And along with that, I wrote about my reasoning for leaving Bain, right? I wrote about health challenges and I wrote about finding, you know, balance and, and about why that was so important and how, you know, I found myself in an ER thinking I had a heart attack and that was not good enough. I'm not going to sacrifice my life for that. So I'm going to leave. And, and, you know, ironically, I, I wrote this story about leaving Bain, right, as my Stanford essay because what mattered most was being a present father. So I was, I was very real. And I, I, you know, I had, I kind of had this chip on my shoulder and I said, you know what, if they don't like it, then that's on them. I don't care. I'm going to put myself out there. And if they don't like it, okay, cool. Then I don't like them either. And I don't need their validation. Right. And then on the why Stanford advice that I'd gotten there was to be less Stanford is the best and more about I see myself having a path and I know that Stanford's going to be a you know a part of that path whether or not that stone is there I'm going to be successful but here's what I'm going to go do and here's how I'm going to change the world Stanford loves changing the world right so I wrote about like you know this 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 you know essentially my, my this idea that I would want to pursue and we'll see if I end up doing it uh, you know about creating financial literacy tools for people that were like me right you know tools that were hyper specifically designed for someone who gets food stamps, right? That doesn't exist right now. And talked about what that might look like and how I know Stanford is the best place for me to learn how to do that. And then talked a bit after that about why I thought I, you know, I fit there. The people that I've talked to, the the, the classes that they have, 
the way it will teach me not only to be successful in business, but also to change the world. That's the last part of the motto. So I wrote that. My my revisions for Stanford, previous round 2022, hours. So long trying to get it just right and you know getting the words right. This time, I think I drafted it four, five times, five hours of work. I just didn't care enough to say what I thought they wanted to say. I was just going to say what I was going to be and say. And And I mean... Again, sometimes you get Dell pocket aces, right? <laughs> um, was it, who who was giving you advice through all this? I have more to say about about what you did with those Stanford essays. I think it's I think it's phenomenal on a bunch of levels. So did Stanford. Were you mm-hmm. working with a consultant? Were there you know no. some of the people you worked with helping? Yeah, out? so so no no consultants um, to do. I mean, you know, having three kids enough drain on the on the wallet. So yeah. didn't didn't you know have that the budget. Um, I, I did have I various friends, right, that were at each of the schools or alumni of those schools. I mean, very luckily, the, the CEO of the company that I worked for, chief of staff, well, he had a very close friend who had gone to the GSB and, and he connected me and they said, hey, I'll look over your stuff. It wasn't it wasn't terribly in depth, but like enough to get, you know, nuggets of advice that would work. Right. Um, and, you know, with with the the the, the advice I'd gotten you know, previously, like it was the same thing had come from a few HBS and GSB students. And I mean, I'll admit that they 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 punch above their weight. They're they're incredible people, and you know, will be much more successful in their careers than I I would hope to be. So I took you know I, you know I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but it, it, it didn't work for me, right? And and ironically, this time around, I did similar ish thing for for applying to HBS and didn't even get interviewed for HBS this round one, right? So it's like you know, it, it's just and you flip the coin a bit. Um, di- didn't happen, and and but the the best part was like the journey along the way about the introspections, like that was okay. Because at the end of the day, if I look into myself, like, am I really going to be the kind of guy who's going to thrive in the case method environment? Perhaps, but I don't have any evidence of that. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I read terribly well for long periods of time, right? I get distracted, you know, and that's actually why I really like Wharton experiential hands-on that first class right, that they would have on, uh, you know, uh, on, on being an effective manager and then the simulation, like I, I get that. Right. And so it wasn't any hair off my back this time around because I knew what I was looking for, right? I was very bottoms up. And if it didn't happen, okay, cool. It works for me, right? John, this this is amazing um, because what, what you're describing here, and, and I, I don't think we have all that many admissions committee people who, who watch this kind of thing, um, but it, if if they are, and, and we'll probably send it out to a few people that have connections to GMAT Club and say, hey, please, please watch this because what what I'm hearing is the admissions process gone right for everybody. And what I mean by that is, so everything we were saying earlier about when you're, when you're truly authentic and I know when you hear from the admissions committee, it just, it just sounds like, Oh blah, my blah, gosh. Blah. It's yeah, yeah. It sounds so thin and that's not a shot at admissions committees because they mean it, but it sounds like nothing to applicants ears. Understandably. Yeah. Like what, what does that really mean? It's like, well, I, I see all these people who have these careers and this, this, and this, and you know, job applications are, is it the right thing to be authentic or do you need to say what the hiring manager wants to hear? I, I Boy, that, that becomes a gray area. I think to a large degree, right. you need to say what they want to hear. That's how the world works a lot of the time. And, and so it, it, it's cognitive dissonance when somebody says, oh, be authentic. Yeah, but I'm trying to show that I'm awesome enough to be in this amazing MBA program. And that feels like a very different exercise than being authentic. But again, they really mean it. And they are looking for fit. They're not just looking for, hey, we're going to get the most elite people to fill our class and that's it. They're saying, yeah, you need to be somebody who's going to achieve really well, you know, in, in the business world post MBA in this program as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we want to make sure that this is somebody who is going to be happy here and have it be a fit. And it sounds like in kind of saying, hey, 
here's who I am. Here's what motivates me. I'm a family guy. I've had some health scares. I'm looking for balance. There's ways in which I want to change the world, but I also have had a whole set of life experiences here. And, you know, for whatever reason, Harvard looked at that and said, yeah, that doesn't fit here right now. Cool. Yeah, great. great. They, they awesome. might have done you a favor because oh, you might if, not have loved it. Man, if I had gone to Harvard and Stanford and I had to decide between them, I would be crippled with, with decision <laughs> fatigue. I wouldn't know what to do. No, I, I mean, because because the, the star power, it's just so bright, right? Like, it's just, it's just, you know. And Stanford said, no, you, you fit with with who and what we want to be. And, yeah. and um, so this is the process, I think, working really well, partly because you took the task of saying, I'm going to be truly authentic, answer these questions for real. Sounds like you had awesome advice from people and you didn't have to pay for I it, which, which is amazing <laughs> and nice, wonderful. Yeah. And anybody out there watching this, yeah, there's great admissions consultants out there. I know tons of them that I, I think are magnificent in a bunch of different companies. And not everybody needs to spend that kind of money. And I think you're a great case of it, John. And, and I think spending all that time introspecting um, and being around a lot of smart people and, and asking for their advice. I think you nailed this process and it is really cool to hear you tell the story this way yeah. because you absolutely nailed the process. Obviously the outcomes worked out too, but it's, it's really cool and really refreshing because I think you dug deep in ways that I think are incredibly refreshing and incredibly cool. I appreciate all right. that. What, what I, I think we've we've danced around, haven't said exactly, just walk us through um, the admissions decisions. I know we've kind of echoed a few of them, but Harvard rejected, Stanford yep. admitted. Take yep. us through the rest of them real quick, and then we can talk about um, yeah. where you are now in the decision process. Love it. Yeah. So uh, I admitted to to Chicago Booth as well. Um, they were kind enough to offer me a $100,000 scholarship, which was wow. incredibly humbling, I guess. I, I, I don't expect such things, right? Um, Kellogg as as well. I was I was uh, lucky to get into Kellogg, and they 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 placed me into their advanced private equity experience um, uh, class as well. And they offered an eighty thousand dollars scholarship as well. Which again, I mean, I'm moved 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 to tears, right? It's like uh, you know, little you know, kid like me. I don't know, I don't I don't know, if it's still, I don't know, if it's still deserving, but apparently I think it is, right? Um, got into well, the the Wharton School as well, and um, enjoyed time there. No, nothing with, with with scholarship, but that's like. Okay, cool. Like that, that, that's fine to be able to, you know, walk the huntsman is going to be, you know, we, we, you know, I mean, worth it um, alone. And uh, I actually got waitlisted at Duke, ironically. So one, uh, a couple of people I've worked with, yeah, my partner, my fund, and other people, they'd gone to Duke and loved it. And they, you know, they talked about fit, and I thought, yeah, like I could probably fit here. Like it, it sounds awesome. Got waitlisted. Um, so what do you do? That's fine. I'm not gonna, you know, again, be be upset with it. But that, that's where it all ended uh, ended up with uh, with this year. And so, what what are you thinking now? Have you made the decision yet? Or are you still still thinking through it? So it, it well, it, yeah, it's funny to say as 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 of literally yesterday. Um, and again, I'm a very I'm a very religious man, so after a lot of introspection and prayer, we, um, my wife and I felt very good, and we we're, we're we'll be attending Stanford. Awesome. And, and going there, um, yeah, coming coming up in this in September of next year. Awesome, I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. All right, John. I think that's probably a pretty good ending close. Any anything else that you so for people watching, um, you know, for anyone who's stuck with us through, you know, 45 plus minutes, thank you so much for sticking with us. Any advice for applicants? I think most people who are gonna watch this whole thing are going, ooh, how do I how do I do what John did? Any any other bits of advice for folks who are going through this? I thing? I think the, 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 there's there's one bit that I guess I, I still struggle with, but I if I could tell myself to do it earlier on and get the mojo around I'd want to have. And that that's around, you know, X factor and star power. Like, especially for Stanford, you hear there's supposed to be some sort of like big X factor, do something, you know, big. And, and, and not that, you know, 
I, I think that everyone has to change the world before going or to that effect. But I, 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 I've been helping a couple of my buddies now look at essays and stuff like that. And there, there's, there seems to be this kind of inclination to not really sell the best parts of themselves, right? To keep it a little bit closer to the chest, to, to kind of, you know, put it in more formal tone or to, you know, kind of bury the lead, if you will. I'd, 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 I would genuinely believe that anyone who, you know, ha has, has the right ability and stats and, and background, like, is a good, like, person that could apply to and, and you know, and arguably get into, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, Kellogg Booth. And I, I would recommend, like, getting very personal and deep about the things that are very important and, and to realize that you do have, like, an X factor with it, right? Like, like with Stanford, I wrote about those things. With Kellogg, I, that, that story I told you about the, the steak, I wrote about that, right? I wrote about going to Bain and how I'm going to change it. At Booth, I wrote about how, you know, my, my, my mom's line, my, my family were pioneers and I'm a different kind of pioneer. And here's how I've broken the chain, right? And, and done those things. For Wharton, uh, you know, a similar story about how I'm going to fulfill, you know, my dreams by, by doing this one I'm going to bring. So I think that there's, there, there's, so, there's so much varnish and polish. I'm just not a polished guy. And, I've, and I, I think that moving that away allows you to not only be authentic, but it also like lets you understand that like, yeah, like you got, you got star power, you got the X factor. Like, I'd love to see you all there at Stanford with me. Like, I don't think you can't, right? I think it's very possible, but I think it, I don't know. I'm not saying to throw out advice from other people and admissions to be, you know, consultants, but like, I don't know, being real worked for me. Survivors, you know, biased, but it worked. And I think that's totally fair. Think about the people on these admissions committees reading thousands of applicants applications every season. And a lot of them are over-polished and, and lack sort of the personal touch. So if you can write something that's readable and a good piece of writing, but is deeply personal, I, I think you got something there, John. Yeah. And, and last quick question for you. What, what do you think you're going to be doing after business school? Oh man, that's a great <laughs> um, you know, I mean, obviously I love, love my fund of people I work with. I could very easily see myself, you know, coming back to that fund. I've also, I mean, again, I, I joined Bain because I wanted to solve big, fat, hairy, juicy problems. And I do really enjoy the private equity world. I could very easily see myself joining on a private equity operations, portfolio operations team, right? Going as the VP and getting deployed out to a bunch of Midwestern manufacturing companies to be with the good old boys, you know, and, and to, to, you know, make, make them grow. Um, I can see that. I, I, you know, wife and three kids, like a bit risk averse, but there's something about entrepreneurship that just calls to me. Like just, it, it's just there and it keeps nagging me. So I, I think that financial tool I talked about could be a very good place to, um, to, to start. And then if, if nothing, if none of those, then this is a bit about a left field, but I, I I think something in like luxury travel would be fun because as I've now been a Banian private equity, I like know the world now. And it's like, this is really cool. I would love to like do like operations of like, you know, hotel and real estate. You see how that, like, I, I think it'd be fun to play with. Right. So, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I love it. We got to get you back on here in uh, two or three years as once you get, <laughs> once you graduate from Stanford and see where you're at. John Kreider, you are amazing. Thank you so much for doing this with us. And uh, everybody, thank you for watching and we'll see you guys next time.